Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Over the next five weeks, culminating on Christmas Eve, we will seek to answer this age-old question, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems, anthems sweet while shepherds watch or keeping? And we'll do so by examining Isaiah 9, 6 in four parts. This morning, wonderful counselor, then mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so as we begin this morning to examine what child this is, again we will do so by considering Jesus is wonderful counselor. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, Isaiah chapter 9. Simply read verse 6 and 7. There'll be a lot more meat for you this morning. If you got your Bible, you'll be doing some preacher aerobics. So. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of God to the people of God, preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. As we have just finished a season to give thanks to you, Father, that we come this morning, now until Christmas, to truly understand what Christmas is about, Father. It's not the parties, it's not the presents underneath the tree, Father, it is your precious Son who is laid to rest in a manger and then who would go to a cross and die a sinner's death having given his perfect sinless body that, Father, we could become the righteousness of God. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for your word that we can hold a copy of it today and we can examine it, Father, that we can come to know better he who is Christ the King. I pray that you would give each and every one of us here this morning ears to hear and eyes to see the truths from your word. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you will use your Holy Spirit to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment that an old sinner could come home. We ask all this now in the precious, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So the outline you have there is simple. It's going to be in two parts. What child is this? First off, wonderful. Some commentators and scholars see in Isaiah's words here four names or titles, and some see five names or titles. And so your uh, Bible, if it's King James, has wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If your Bible is like mine, ESV, it says, Wonderful Counselor, comma, Mighty God, comma, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One commentator I found noted that an Egyptian practice was that actually the new Pharaoh at his coronation was given five new names, or five throne names, and maybe in that spirit, of which his audience would have been aware, Isaiah designates the Pharaoh of all Pharaohs, the King of all Kings, Jesus Christ, with five names that he would be given as his own coronation. But turn with me to Judges chapter 13. 
because you'll see why I have broken this down into five names instead of four. Dr. McGee says that wonderful, quote-unquote, is not an adjective. This is his name. And he cites Judges chapter 13. If you remember, this is in regards to the birth of Samson. And so an angel of the Lord comes to a man of Zorah, whose name was Manoah, and tells her of the son that they will have. She tells her husband. He then prays to the Lord. Lord, send this man back. And he comes back, and the wife goes and gets the husband again. And then look at verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, and this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, Jesus. Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And look at 17. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come true we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is... What does your bar, your Bible say? Wonderful. Mine says wonderful. Does somebody say secret? Mm -hmm. Secret. Wonderful. The Hebrew is Peli, which means wonderful. So Jesus' name is wonderful. It may be wonderful counselor, but we're going to break it down. At least Judges 13, 18 tells us his name is wonderful, and we're going to look at that aspect that his name is wonderful. Now can I tell you, that experience in Scripture says that a whole lot of names are the antithesis of wonderful. There's Amy's big word for the day. So, antithesis, the opposite of wonderful. Take my name, Buffy. It ain't wonderful. Live with my name for 45 years, you understand Buffy is not wonderful. It's like a boy named Sue. If I ever have a kid, and I, I the song, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him Bill or George or anything but Sue. Take Isaiah's son. He's one of my favorites in chapter 8, verse 3. Mahir Shala Hashbaz. Now how would you like to have to spell that in kindergarten? So experience in Scripture teaches us Jesus' name indeed is wonderful. Acts 4.12 alone tells us that. There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved other than Jesus. And the Word of God, the people of God said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to consider that Jesus is wonderful first off in His birth. So turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We're going to part there for a second. Isaiah 7, 14. Jesus is wonderful in His birth. It says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. So note with me three things here. First, His conception. Isaiah prophesied a virgin would conceive and bear a son. His name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that was Gabriel's message to Mary in person. It was likewise an angel of the Lord's message to Joseph in a dream, if you remember. And to me, it's a mind-boggling thought that anyone, let alone a virgin, could give birth to God in the flesh. Amen? There's a song, From Heaven You Came, and it says, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe. In Christ alone, if you know the lyrics there, In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God, and helpless babe. Now countless media sources have written of the dim-wittedness at best and the outright sheer stupidity at worst of Christians for believing this mess. I mean, you've got to be some kind of special brain-damaged human to believe this. 
And now even Christians are getting in on the act. It's now by many Christians considered an optional doctrine. And so when we were in Theology 1, we had a whole little 30-minute debate on can you be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth of Christ. I think you can get saved and not believe in the virgin birth of Christ, but you cannot be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth of Christ. You remember I've said there's first level, second level, and third level doctrines. First level are things I'm going to hold in my cold, dead grip, and when I die, you're going to have to pluck them out of my cold, dead hand, and one of them is that Jesus Christ was born to a virgin. Period. It's not optional. But they say, well, it was just taught in two of the four Gospels, so it must be optional. It's just the church, early church kind of being overzealous to say Christ was God. An Episcopal bishop, that's why I'm not going to allow my son in Memphis to go to Episcopalian church. John Shelby calls it the entrance myth to go with the exit myth of the resurrection. We now even have a label of revisionist evangelicals who claim belief in the virgin birth, it's really not necessary. In my notes I said it's kind of like a side salad with a 20 ounce ribeye and a fully loaded baked potato. I mean if I got a 20 ounce ribeye and a fully loaded baked potato, I don't really need the side salad. I can take it or leave it. Amen? Mm -hmm. That's what they have turned the virgin birth of our Lord into. A side salad, you can just take it or you can leave it. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Christianity minus the wonder of the virgin birth is not Christianity. That's right. Jonah 2.9 says salvation is of the Lord. He had to be fully God and He had to be perfect, sinless. Any child that has been born since Adam was born with what? A sinful nature. He could not have been born that way. And so, if He was not a sinless Savior, you know what it does to the cross? it renders His blood completely useless because it had to be perfect and it had to be sinless and the only way that could come about was through a virgin birth. Not to mention that, you know, since it's just one of the many miracles at His birth, just throw out all the other miracles, right? Throw out the angel appearances to Mary and Joseph, throw out the wise men and the moving star that guided them, uh, throw out the miraculousness that the Creator of the universe was then subject to the creature and was dependent upon 14 and 15 year old kids to take care of it. So where does it stop? But can you imagine, Mary, did you know, when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Now I know a lot of y'all think when you kiss your baby that it's so precious, and it is, but ain't never any of us ever kissed the face of God. No wonder we call Him wonderful. Amen? Second is lineage. Look at what it says. Shall conceive and bear a son. Now today, most of us have no idea where we came from. Let me give you an illustration. You see, my mom says that my granny Dot, her mom, was full-blooded Indian. And so she's a fourth and I'm an eighth. Well then, whenever I went to apply for college at MTSU, and you could potentially get a minority scholarship as an American Indian, lo and behold, the Indian Bureau of our great government said that my granny Dot was half-blooded, and so my mom was an eighth, and I was a sixteenth, and I was one fraction shy 
of a minority scholarship. Soon we'll see what 23andMe says. I know I got some African blood in me somewhere. But we'll see how much. My mom says, well, I'm so excited you're going to do that. We'll see if we're Scottish or Irish. I said, Mom, we're probably going to find out we're French. (laughs) But you know there was no such problem with Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Because the Gospels clearly outline His royal descent and that He is the rightful heir to the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ who is he? the son of David the son of Abraham and so he has all rights to fulfill both of those and so as David and his son to look at what uh, the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1 I'll read there Luke 1 32 and 33 He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. No wonder we call him wonderful. Third is name. As I said earlier, experience in Scripture teaches many names are the antithesis of wonderful. Do you know there's three guys in the Bible named Dodo? And all the women said, well there were a lot more married men than that in the Bible so it should have been higher than three. (laughs) Or take a gal's name. How many of you would like to have been named Abishag? Sounds like old hag to me, don't it? And some of the men said there should have been more than one Abishag. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It is what? Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. No wonder we call Him wonderful. So he's wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his life. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. If you remember, Luke 4, when we were there, Jesus quoted this in his first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison, those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so notice there his anointing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The New Testament repeatedly references Jesus as full of the Holy Spirit. Most notably was when? His temptation. He was tempted in all points as we are. Satan tempted him with, get this, from 1 John, the lust of the flesh, bread. The lust of the eyes, all the kingdoms of the world. The pride of life, throw yourself from the temple, yet Christ was victorious and overcame. How's that? And you say, well, duh, he was God. Yes, but he was also fully human. And he also had been fasting for 40 days and nights. I tell you how he did it. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you and I victorious in this life? I tell you how. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So for any of us who would say, well, I just can't help doing this and this, and as I was joking, telling Vicky, it's just in my nature. That's how God made me. But yes, God also empowered me with the Holy Spirit to live a life that is completely different. 
and to live a life after Christ that is victorious. No wonder we call Him wonderful. Second is archetype. Look at what it says there. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Can I say Jesus didn't just preach good news, He then practiced what He preached. Amen? And I know a lot of pastors that don't do that. They don't practice what they preach. But through word and action, He taught us to love God and love people. And that's why Paul said, then you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because the greatest thing we can do in this life is love God and love people. Amen? Y'all seen the bumper sticker that says this? Live your life so your pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral. I had to do two funerals this week. And praise God, I didn't have to lie to either one of those. I didn't have to lie at Artie Newt's funeral because that brother loved God and he loved people. And many of us in this room saw it in action. And you know how he came to do that? Because he heeded Jesus' words and he duplicated Jesus' actions. Because Jesus is the example of our faith. No wonder we call Him wonderful. Third is atonement. Look at what it says there in verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's talking about the year of Jubilee. It happened every 50th year. Everything reverted back and was redeemed. Jesus came to bring a spiritual jubilee. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, 45. And we think of Jesus' passive obedience, that He went to the cross and He died a death that we deserved. But we rarely think of His active obedience. I mean, to me, the fact that He would become and die for me when I was blaspheming His name and living the life that I was living, which was open rebellion against God, that He would do that for me blows my mind. But the fact that He could live for 30 years on this earth with all the stuff that we are tempted with and never one time sin, I just cannot wrap my mind around it. Because like I've told y'all, I can't even make it 30 seconds through many days without sinning. I told you the old joke guy wakes up and he says, Lord, today I'm going to you know, make it and not sin against you at all. And he made it 33.4 seconds before he had sinned. I mean, it's mind-blowing. And not just that. We didn't just need his death on the cross. His death on the cross took us from morally negative to neutral. What does a car do in neutral? Nothing. It spins its wheels. And so we needed to then go morally neutral to positive. We needed Christ's life laid over the top of us. Because what does 2 Corinthians 5.21 say? He made Him who knew no sin to be sin that then we might what? Be the righteousness of God. And so I needed Him to die on the cross for me, but I also needed Him to live a perfect sinless life that I never could live. Hallelujah is His name not wonderful. And then Jesus was wonderful in His death. Look at Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our grief, carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. I mean, maybe wonderful in death's like an oxymoron to you. It probably would have been to Mary in that stable, wouldn't it? Yet time and experience taught her exactly how wonderful her son was in death. Remember what Simeon told her? He said, a sword, the prophecy he gave her, he said, a sword is going to pierce your very soul. And unlike the Catholics that they teach, I think the sword that pierced her very soul was as she stood and watched her son die and she came to the realization that that baby she held in the manger came to die for her. And he was being crushed on the cross so she could be the righteousness of God. Oh, is not his death wonderful? When you think about all he went through, leading up to the cross and on the cross, and Mary sat there and watched it in 4D color vision. Because I've only seen it in 2D color vision on the Passion of the Christ, and it left me singing, How wonderful is His name? I can't imagine. Think of what we sing all the time. And when I think for God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great, how wonderful Thou art. And then He's wonderful in His second coming. The one who died and rose again will come again. You can put there in your margin and read Isaiah 35. And so when he comes, two things quickly as we finish up that he's wonderful. He's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. Amen, hallelujah. Do you realize that one day we're going to be forever removed from the presence of sin? Will that not be a glorious day? And then new glorified bodies. I tell people all the time, I actually shared the gospel with a guy who then told me he was Catholic. And I said, sir, I didn't ask you what denomination you were or what you were. I'm just telling you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be Catholic. You don't need to be Baptist. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. That's right. But I told him, I said, the guy's got a list of problems this long. He's 65, 67. And I told him, I said, brother, you know, when I see patients such as yourself that literally are tore up from the floor up. There ain't a part of your body that ain't in misery from something. Diabetes, neuropathy, bad back, bad neck, bad heart, bad kidneys, etc. I said, I always think of Jesus Christ. And when He's coming back to raise those of us who have put our faith and trust in Him, Brother, He is going to give us a body that never tears up. Do you have that assurance, brother? I ain't asking you if you're Catholic and you did ten Hail Marys and you gave a couple uh, dollars and you went to Mass. I'm not asking you about that. I'm not asking you if you was baptized in the Baptist church when you was four and you've been going to church your whole life. You can go to hell with a badge full of Sunday school pens. I'm asking if you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have that assurance that one day when you die, Jesus is going to raise you up and give you a new glorified body 
And I said in this Jane Goodman's funeral, I said, now I know, brothers and sisters, this is a funeral. And it's sad, and I probably shouldn't even be saying this, but that thought and that she no longer has to bleed out of her intestines. She no longer has to be sick and feel weak and all this because Jesus is going to give her a new body. Ought to make us run out of this funeral home and jump up and down and scream and shout. No wonder His name is wonderful. But you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid there's billions of Christians across this planet that claim the name of Christ and they really don't know how wonderful He is. And so I wondered, do you know how wonderful He is? What child is this? Counselor. Let's go to that. Turn to Proverbs. We'll start in chapter 11. You know the Bible is replete. There's another big word, Amy. She knows I'm always going to come up with something. The Bible is replete. I mean, just everywhere. With warnings against bad counsel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I could give you more out of Proverbs, but I'll give you a couple others. Psalm 1. What is the blessed man like? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. One of my favorite, 1 Corinthians 15.33, y'all ought to know it. Bad company corrupts good morals. How does it corrupt good morals? Because eventually if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get fleas because you're going to take their advice at some point. And it's going to come back and bite you. It's not called karma. It's called reaping what you're sowing. See, karma's not biblical. Reaping what you sow is. And so the Bible's overrun with examples of those who took good and bad advice. Think of, of Solomon. He took good advice. Rehoboam, Ahaz, took bad advice. I preached to uh, Covenant FCA uh, a little message on Rehoboam. Three strikes, you out. That brother was three strikes, you out. He took bad advice three times. He was out. So you think God is concerned with us taking right godly counsel? Yeah. You know why? Because He named His Son Counselor. And so I'm going to give you ten things as we close out this message. Ten. You can start counting them down from ten if you're worried about getting out of here. Ten things Jesus is Counselor. One, as counselor, Jesus had the age and experience. Daniel 7, 9, He is the Ancient of Days. He is the Eternal One. Hebrews 4, 15, He's the Great High Priest who was tempted every way we are. Think about it. What makes for a good counselor? Start getting your wheels thinking about that because we're going to talk a lot about that as we finish this up. What makes for a good counselor? If you go to a doctor, what do you want him to have? Age and experience. Now there comes a cutoff on the age. <laughs> I had one guy tell me, he said, you know how I picked you? He said, my doctor is the same age as I am and I shake. <laughs> so there comes a point at which age is too aged. And this isn't completely the case. There's young doctors that have 
Very good knowledge. But think about it. You want a doctor that's got age and experience. You want a pastor that's the same. It's got age and experience. The President of the United States, there's an age limit. And then you say, well, if he doesn't have experience, no, he don't need experience in uh, politics because that's the kind we don't want for. We want people that are experienced in real life. Amen? The best counselors have age and experience under their belt, and Jesus has got the greatest of both. He's been around for a long, long time, and he's been around the block a time or two. What a counselor. Second, as counselor, Jesus has the knowledge. Acts 1, I'll read you that. Remember when they were picking a disciple to replace Judas? It says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. He's omniscient. Think about it. What makes for a good counselor? Knowledge. You know what folks have paid me for day in and day out for 17 years? It ain't my good looks. It's my brain. Knowledge. Well, Doc, is this normal? Yeah, that's normal. I thought I was dying of cancer. Is this abnormal? Yeah, that mole, you ain't leaving out of here with that thing on you today because that looks like melanoma. We're going to take that off. Well, Doc, have you ever seen this before? And I'm like, yeah, about a hundred times. What should I do? The same is true of your vet and your butcher and your car salesman and your hairdresser and your teacher and your lawyer and your farmer and on and on. Nobody wants a dumb vet taking care of their dog. Do you want a dumb butcher cutting your steaks? You might get uh, T-bones at filet mignon on filet mignon price. How many of you ladies want a dumb hairdresser doing your hair the day before the big event? Or a dumb lawyer? Wait, that's a bad analogy. Um, but Jesus knows everything, amen? amen. What a counselor. And in his counselor, he has the education. In Isaiah 40, I'll read you there. 13 and 14. It says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Remember what he told Job? Big boy, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Did I seek anything from you to tell the ocean where to stop, and what to do, and the moon where to be, and how to go? Did I ask you any of that? What did Job say? I'm sorry, I won't even ask you any more questions, Lord. You remember back when he was 12 and Jesus got lost by his parents? And what did it say? They all were amazed at his knowledge and his education and his experience. They said, where did this kid get this? I mean, he's not got a degree from the University of Jerusalem hanging on his wall. He's got no certificate from the latest rabbi. Where did he get it? He got it from high school, on high, the heavenlies. That's where he got it from. Think about it. You go to a counselor to save your marriage or advise you on finances for retirement or treat stage 3 cancer, who are you going to go to? The best. The best. Why do you think Vandy is tops in the United States? Why is St. Jude world-renowned? Jesus is of such a higher education, He don't ask anybody their opinion and nobody can question Him. What a counselor. That's right. And then next says, Counselor, Jesus Price is right. 
Isaiah 55, 1. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money. Come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You broke, you so poor you can't even pay attention. Jesus' services are free. <coughs> Think about it. You ever gone to a lawyer? What's the tagline? Free consultation. <laughs> and that's about as far as you're going to get. After that, and God would trust, all others pay cash. Amen? Ever gone to a doctor and not gotten a bill? When we got our bill for Vicky's ablation, she said she should have said this. This is good advice for next time. Hopefully there won't be a next time. Are you sitting down? <laughs> you know how much our bill was? I said $25,000. She said try $150,000. Praise God for insurance. Amen. You ever gone to a financial advisor and them not giving you a surcharge? Ain't gonna happen. You know why I have so many people struggling trying to get on disability and they really need it? Because they won't go to a lawyer. You know why? Because he's going to take a big old chunk of it. There's no such thing as free lunch nor free advice. Joke's told about a doctor comes up to a lawyer, a little you know, get-together, and he, he asks the lawyer, he says, man, do people always come up to you like they do me and ask you for advice on this and advice on that? You know, and they talk for a minute. Well, the next week, doctor uh, opens up his mail, and he sees he's got a letter from the lawyer, and he opens up, and it's a bill for an hour of his services for asking him that question. You see, Jesus does the healing and pays the bill. What a physician. And He gives out the counsel, and you know what you don't get a week later in the mail? A bill. What a counselor. And then as counselor, Jesus is always available. What did He say? Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't know what to do, and you need the wisdom, James 1.17, you just call on Him who gives every good and perfect gift, and He'll give you exactly the wisdom that you need. Now, I don't know about your doctor, but this doctor don't make house calls 24-7, 365. And I'm willing to bet your hairstylist don't, your lawyer don't, your mechanic don't, your teacher don't, your professor don't. Amy says, do not be texting her at 2 a.m. with uh, grammar questions. Marty says, do not call me at 11 o'clock at midnight wanting to do an algebra question. Although I think we've gotten close to that before. Is it 2 a.m. and you got problems? Call on Jesus. Is it a weekend and you got problems? Call on Jesus. Is it a federal holiday and the banks are closed? You can still call on Jesus. I love Nicole C. Mullen's song. Call Him in the morning, in the afternoon time, late in the evening, He'll be there. When your heart is broken and you feel discouraged, you can just remember he said, He'll be there. What a counselor. And in this counselor, Jesus always gives perfect advice. John 16, 13, He said He would send the Spirit to always guide us in the truth. You ever gotten bad counsel? Bad advice? There's a story told, a lady saw this old guy sitting on the porch. And uh, she went up to him and she said, you know, uh, sir, she said, what's the secret of your longevity? And I'll notice, you know, how old you look. And, and he said, well, he said, I, I drink three packs of cigarettes a day. He said, I, I drink a case of beer a day. He said, I always eat fatty foods. He said, and I never exercise. 
She said, well, sir, if you don't mind asking, tell me just how old are you? He said, 26. That's bad advice, amen? Talk about reaping what you sow. If people eat wrong long enough and don't exercise long enough and smoke long enough, it's not karma. It's called reaping what you sow, amen? Looking back at Jason, we know. We deal with this all the time. Well, how can I weigh 150 pounds, uh, Doc, and my diabetes, my A1C, B6? Well, it's not just going to come in a pill. It's going to call diet and exercise, right? How can I be strong and physically fit? It's not going to just come in a bottle. You're going to have to actually work for it. But Jesus' advice is always spot on. Think about it. Who He left us with is the Holy Spirit. His name in the Greek is what? Paraclete. What does it mean? Counselor. No wonder J.B. Greer's book is entitled The Holy Spirit Inside You is better than the Jesus Beside You because you got a 24-7, 365 counselor living inside of you that always gives perfect advice. And then as counselor, Jesus' motives are always pure. 1 Peter 5-7. I'll read that to you. It says, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You ever gotten some advice or counsel and thought, man, they're just out to make a buck or sell you something? I mean, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, now I can definitely help you. Just 36 sessions at $125 a piece and we'll, we'll get you good. You know what I spend a lot of my day weeding through? is junk that patients bring me. Now I got this thing, this article I saw in the New York Times at shark intestine, and if I ate that three times a week, that I'll be healthy. Or jellyfish brains, or it works, aka it don't work. On and on. But a lot of times the counsel we get is not coming from pure motives, is it, brothers and sisters? Jesus is always looking to give us pure counsel. Not may not be the counsel we want. But it's the counsel we need. Amen? And in his counsel, Jesus has answered to life's greatest questions. Y'all remember Lucy from Charlie Brown? What's her little sign say? Psychiatrist help. Pay in advance. Five cents. And you know what she never does? Never answers Charlie Brown's question. And then we ought to be sure that our counselors are Christian, biblical. I shared this at Brother Artie's funeral. Ronald Reagan once said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all of the problems men face. Amen. And Jesus came giving us the answers to the greatest problems. Eternal life, heaven, hell. You say, well, those sound like great questions, but I really want to know who should I marry, what college should I go to, which job should I take? Well, those are good, but brothers and sisters, can I tell you that the greatest question you can ever answer is your eternal salvation? Because Jesus said, what's it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What's it matter for you to get all those right and get the final question wrong? Amen? Amen. And then last two is counselor Jesus' advice is applicable to everyday life. Anybody ever given you some advice and you thought, this might as well be written in hieroglyphics? Can I get that in English, please? You've got to have a college degree to understand it. Now that we're Methodists, they send out press gainy surveys to be sure that I'm, you know, being a good doctor and not being rude to people, you know, behind the door. And one of the questions that they have is this. Did the provider 
explain and explain in a way in which you can understand. Jesus' parables in His teaching, you ain't got to be smarter than a fifth grader to get the point of them. Amen? And then finally, Jesus' advice is out of this world. Think about Jesus' advice. It's not what the world says. You want to be great? Then be what? Least. You want to be first? You better be what? Last. Many of us have done well learn that at Thanksgiving in the line, wouldn't we? You want to be rich? Give it all away. You want to live? Then what? Die. Turn to Luke 9.24 to finish up. And we're going to close out this message. John MacArthur says, Aside from the command, follow me, this saying is repeated more times in the Gospels than any other saying of Christ. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus' advice. You ain't going to get that kind of advice in this world, are you? Mm -hmm. You look out for numero uno. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You go die. Die to yourself and you die to me and you'll live. You lose your life for my sake and you'll save it. And so on closing one commentator said this. He said, Isaiah does not intend we should understand that in actual life, the child would bear or be addressed by these names any more than in actual life he should bear the name Emmanuel. The thought is the child is worthy to bear these names and that they are accurate descriptions and designations of his being and character. So he is wonderful. He is counselor. Then I love this. He said, God's answer, another uh, pastor said this, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Syrians and all the big shots of this world, he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. And so look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor, wonderful. He's worthy to be praised, brothers and sisters. So let's praise him 24-7, 365, not just at Christmas. Amen? As the wonderful counselor, counselors, particularly you young folks, he has the best ideas and strategies. You want to know the will of God, then get in the Word of God and He'll reveal it to you. No magic eight balls. You don't need that. I heard Dr. David Jeremiah say, every person that's ever been saved needs two things. He needs the Spirit of God and he needs the Word of God. If your life's a hot mess, it's probably because you're a spiritual anorexic and you ain't feasting on the Word of God. Get in it and listen to His counsel and then follow it. So let's follow Him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You so much for Your perfect, pure Word. Father, thank You so much that that babe, Father, in the manger would grow to be a man. Father, a man who is wonderful. Father, in His birth, His life, His death, his burial and resurrection in the second coming. So, Father, he's worthy to be praised. Help us to praise him. 
24-7-365. He would become a man, Father, upon which we can get the greatest counsel in the world and for absolutely free. Father, help us not to ignore your word. And to each and every one of us have a, thung, a hunger and a thirst for your word, Father, that we would be uh, well fed according to your counsel. I ask that as we come to this time of invitation, again, if there's any decision that needs to be made for you today, Father, be it baptism, be it church membership, be it salvation, that, Father, you would just stir your spirit amongst your people and move them to listen to you, the shepherd. It's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. And so let me ask you, if Jesus Christ were here this morning to speak to you, what would he say as wonderful counselor? How would he finish out a message that was spent exalting him? I think he would do it the same way he started his ministry. Simply with these words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what that means? That means today is the day of salvation. It means you don't wait till tomorrow. And then he said, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what's that mean, Pastor? Repent. It means change your mind about what? God and yourself. Primarily about yourself. There ain't no good people. Nobody's making it to heaven on the good person express. And there ain't no good works good enough. That's what you change your mind about. There's so many people, brothers and sisters, if you witness long enough and hard enough to people, you will hear that over and over and over. Well, I'm a good person. Well, I've done some good stuff. Fooey on that. It means nothing. Your sin has offended a three-time perfectly holy God and that sin has separated you from Him. And one day, if you don't do something about that, it's going to separate you from Him forever. And only one person can change that. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Allah. It's Jesus Christ because there's one mediator between God and man and that's the Christ man, Jesus. That's what you've got to change your mind about. And so now you believe in the gospel, the good news. Jesus died for you. It is finished. There's nothing else I have to do. It's already been done. You put your trust in that now and all your born days until your last dying breath. That what Jesus did on the cross is the once for all sufficient sacrifice. And He didn't just stay dead. He rose on the third day and He gives the hope and promise of eternal life to all who believe and trust in Him that He will do the same to them. And so do you know Him today as wonderful because of what He did for you? If you don't, come today and receive Him as Lord and Savior of your life. As we stand, whatever else it may be that God is stirring you, be it church membership or baptism or just something that was said this morning, as we stand and sing, listen to the Lord this morning.
he'll be 